So we're kicking off a brand new series today called Known. We'll do it for the rest of this month. And the whole idea, the whole point of this series is for us to recognize that Jesus knows us, but also that we should have this desire to know him more. It's, it's that pursuit, it's that constant growing and learning on what does it look like to continue to know Jesus more. And kind of in the spirit of known and kicking off a new series, I figured most of you know, know some things about me. Some of you might not know anything about me. There's probably a few of you that, that know more about me. So I wanted to just, again, in the spirit of known as the series, share a few things about me that my guess is most of you do not know about me. Now, this is a scary thing, right? You, we want people to know us, but we get nervous about people knowing certain things about us. What will they think? What will they say? What are they going to say about me later on when they go to lunch? All those types of things. So let me just share. I've got five things that you probably don't know about me. None of these are earth shattering, but it, it takes a lot for me to share these with you. So here's the first one. And by the way, Becky, my wife, she gave approval on all five of these. So these are good for you to hear at home and here in the room. Here's the first one. You might not have known this about me. Before I got married, I had my ears and my eyebrow pierced. Yeah, now some of you are, some of you are like, yeah, I knew that. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, we cannot go to this church anymore. Others of you are like, why'd you take them out? That's a marital thing. Becky was like, you need to take those out. You need to grow up. She gave me a bunch of reasons. Anyway, pre-marriage, she, she wanted to make sure that you knew that one. And then the second one, you might not know this about me. I am terrible with directions. And not just, hey, I'm bad at directions. Like in a marriage, spouses, there's one of you that's probably better than the other. This is on a whole different level. In fact, it's become a game in our family where I'll be driving somewhere. I'm not sure which way to turn. And I'll say, Becky, which way should I go? She's fantastic at directions. And she won't tell me because it turns into an adventure. We use that word a lot in our family of, I don't know, Brian, which way do you think we should go? And we just see where we end up, and rarely is it where it's supposed to go. I'm terrible with directions. Here's one from middle school. Let's get scary. In middle school, I was part of a drama club. And in this drama club, we had to create our own play. And in this play that we had to create, my role, my part to play, was a toupee that came alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not funny, just weird. Just straight up strange, super weird. So that was a middle school one for you. Here's, here's another one. Um, this was early on in ministry. I need to emphasize early on in ministry, not here. I started uh, working at a church in California, was out there early, early on in my ministry career. I was teaching students and I was just giving my heart to this sermon on how Jesus is the cornerstone. Everything you do builds from him. Everything you have in your life is built on him. So it was this big sermon. The whole point was all about Jesus being the cornerstone, which is, is scriptural. However, when I was helping students and teenagers understand what a cornerstone was, I had a big picture that I was using to explain it. And after I got off stage, I had a wonderful volunteer come up to me and say, Brian, you talked about Jesus as the cornerstone, but the picture you're using is a capstone, which are very, very different. If you don't know the difference, then you're just like me and go Google it and you'll be like, oh, Brian, that's embarrassing. So yes, Jesus is the cornerstone. I used a picture of a capstone, so... I've learned my lesson. And I learned a lot about construction too as I dove into that one. All right, here's the last one. 
Last one, you probably don't know about me. I said I used to work at a church in California. I did student ministry. Had a lot of different roles at that church. We did a Sunday night thing. And when it came time for Christmas Eve services, which is our big deal for for churches, um, I was given an additional role. And uh, let me show you a picture of what my additional role was for several years. Yep, yep. So the church that I worked at prior, the name of the church was Adventure Christian Church. And we became known as the Adventure Elves. And so this was us at one of our elf photo shoots. And I kid you not, one of those photos ended up on a billboard on, high, on Interstate 80 in California. Things you didn't, things, instead of things you didn't know about me, this would be things you shouldn't know about me, right? So here's what just happened, right? So I share some things about me that you probably didn't know, and it's a two-way street, because we all want to be known, but we're also a little scared and intimidated of being known. We want to be known because we want to have that relationship, but if you know too much about me, what will you think of me? Will you judge me? Will you, will you kick me out? Will, will you think less of me? What are you thinking of me? How will you talk about me? I can't wait to hear what your lunch conversations are after church today. Be like, Brian was an elf. Anyway, we need to move past that one. Right? So we want to be known, but we also want to be loved. In fact, if you are loved but not known, it's very comforting, but that's also a very superficial relationship. To love somebody, to like somebody, but to really not know anything about them comforting, it feels good, it's nice, maybe even polite, but there's not any depth to that relationship, loved but not known. If you are known but not loved, ooh, this is one of our greatest fears, that's rejection. Where you know me, you know all things about me, the good and the bad and everything in between, and if you do not love me but you know me, then it's rejection. Ultimately, we want both, don't we? We want to be fully known and fully loved. We desire to be fully known and fully loved, and that's what Jesus does for us. He knows us. He loves us, and we know that not just through this passage. There's plenty throughout uh, Scripture that speak to this. In John chapter 10, Jesus gives this in a, in a helpful kind of example, a metaphor, and he uses himself as a shepherd and us as his flock or us as a sheep. Listen to how he talks about our relationship and his relationship with us. John chapter 10, verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know you. He says, and you also know me. And he describes it just as the father knows me and I know the father. But look at the next part says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Here in that, in that section, you see the known and also the love, where Jesus fully knows you. He knows you deeply. He knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. You are fully known, but don't miss that last part. He knows us, but he also gave his life for us, which means we are fully loved. You are fully known and fully loved by Jesus. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you fully. And I hope that you will hold on to that, because that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of the month, that Jesus knows us fully, and he also loves us fully. And so my hope is that as we go on this journey in a series called Known, that we would recognize that, that that fact would take deep root in our hearts, that Jesus fully knows you and he fully loves you, but that we would have this desire to pursue him and to know him 
more. That's what we want to start today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for how you know us, that you know us fully, that you know everything about us, and there's nothing in us, nothing that you know that pushes you away from us. You continue to pursue us. You continue to love us in ways that we cannot even possibly begin to imagine. Jesus, as we study your word and what it looks like for, for you to know us and for you to love us and for us to know and love you in return, I pray that you help that fact take deep root in our hearts that you know me, you know everything about me, and you still choose to love me. Help us to know you and love you even more. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna be in John today, John chapter one. We're gonna get an interesting story of Jesus early on in his ministry and how he begins to call his disciples. If you've studied through the gospels or if you've heard the stories, most of Jesus' disciples followed Jesus in kind of a similar story. Jesus showed up in their world. Maybe it was them as fishermen. It was at Matthew's tax collector booth. Jesus shows up in their world, meets them where they're at. And then he says, follow me. And these disciples basically say, okay. They drop everything, they leave everything, and then they follow Jesus. Most of the disciples have that same story. Jesus shows up, he says, follow me. They leave everything and follow Jesus. Now, there's another disciple that has a little bit of a different story. That's the story we're going to focus on today. His name is Nathaniel, and I want you to see the interaction that he and Jesus have, because I think we'll relate to it. I think it'll resonate with us. Here's his story of following Jesus. John chapter 1, starting in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip's another one of the disciples. Very similar story with many of the other disciples. Again, Jesus shows up, says, follow me, and they do. So Jesus said to him, follow me. Verse 44, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In other words, we finally found the Messiah, the son of God. We have been waiting for generations for him to show up. So Philip meets Jesus begins to follow Jesus and notice, and again, we're talking about Nathaniel, but don't miss Philip's role in Nathaniel's life. Don't miss the part that Philip played in introducing Nathaniel to Jesus. Philip meets Jesus, changes his life, he begins to follow Jesus, and then he quickly goes and finds somebody else, doesn't he? Philip, after following Jesus, he goes and finds Nathaniel and is so excited. He said, we finally found him, the one we've been waiting for, the one we've been hearing about, the one that generations have been looking for. He's finally here and we've met him. So excited. And that happens for every believer where there's something in us. When we say yes to Jesus, when we follow Jesus, we have this desire to help other people know Jesus, don't we? When you know Jesus, you want everybody around you to know Jesus. When you begin to follow Jesus, you want everybody to begin to follow Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we walk around with our Bibles and we just preach at every single person we meet. Maybe, probably not. But there's this desire because of what Jesus has done for me, I want him to do for you. What Jesus has given me, I want you to have as well. What I've experienced because of Jesus, I desire you to experience those as well. And we know that the only way to do that is to point people to Jesus. Notice Philip doesn't really explain much. He just says, we finally found him. He's unbelievably excited. So when you know Jesus, you want everybody else to know him as well. 
So he gets all excited. He begins to tell Nathaniel, we found him, we found him, we found him. I want you to pay attention. Here's verse 46. Here's Nathaniel's response back to Philip. He says, Nazareth? And you have to say it with the inflection like that, because that's like a, seriously? Like, that's where he's from? Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. You talk about a Debbie Downer. Here's Philip, all excited. We found Jesus. We found the Messiah. We've been waiting for him for all these years. He's finally here. And Nathaniel says, did you say he's from Nazareth? Nothing could possibly come out of Nazareth that's good. That doesn't make any sense. Nathaniel has a hard time rationalizing and wrapping his mind around the Messiah being from this town called Nazareth. He's hesitant, isn't he? It's obvious that Nathaniel has some preconceived ideas about Nazareth and the people from Nazareth. It's obvious he has some assumptions and judgments already made, even though he doesn't know Jesus. Nathaniel has not met Jesus yet, yet he has already made some assumptions and judgments about Jesus. Now, let me give you a map. This will kind of help you understand a little bit of what was probably going through Nathaniel's mind. Here's a map of the area that Jesus was at. It says he was around the Sea of Galilee. You see the Sea of Galilee on the map. And then remember, Philip is from the town of Bethsaida, which is up there to the, the top right corner. We don't know for sure that Nathaniel was from there, but knowing Philip and Andrew and Peter, chances are good that he would have been from there or at least was very uh, connected to that town. Now, notice Bethsaida is right there on the coast of the Sea of Galilee meaning it would have been a populated town. It would have been a well-traveled town. It would have been a, a hub of activity with, with jobs and living. Like, it was a place to be. Now, let's look at Nazareth, way over on the other side. Here in the south, we would say that's living in the sticks. That's where Jesus was from. He was in Nazareth, which is so far away from the Sea of Galilee. There's no other travel routes. It would have been a low-populated town, there would have been a lot of assumptions that people of the Sea of Galilee area would have made about people in towns like Nazareth, far away from everything and everyone else. So we don't know that for sure, but probably that's what was going through Nathaniel's mind. So when Philip says, we found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, all of a sudden, Nathaniel's like, wait, 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 wait. He's from Nazareth. Well, he must be like this, and he must talk like that, and he must think like this. There's these assumptions and judgments already happening about Jesus in Nathaniel's mind. We do the same thing, though, don't we? Especially when it comes to geographic locations around the country. I said I was at a church in California prior to moving here. Well, before I lived in California, I lived in Kentucky. And just by saying Kentucky, you already have thoughts of, oh, those people, right? <laughs> So I went from Kentucky and I was moving to California, had never been to California ever in my life. So I took this job and on my way out, I'm so excited because I'm thinking, California, we're all going to be surfers, we're going to live by the beach, like all these things that you just immediately assume is what California is like. So I lived in the, the Sacramento Valley of California. So no ocean, you could see the mountains, and it was just hot all the time. So I get there, and I'm like, my assumptions were wrong. Not everybody in California is a beach bum, which is what I was expecting, right? We think that about different places. If I were to say, think of the person that lives in New York City, don't say it out loud because it's probably going to be offensive, you begin to think of, well, the people in New York City are like what? If we were to say Texas, what are the people of Texas like? Well, you begin to make assumptions about what people in Texas are like. Well, they all wear cowboy hats, begin to make some assumptions. If I were to say Southern Alabama, 
that, yeah, I, I won't even go there. I'm not even going to say anything about it, right? There's assumptions that you would make. So here would be my question. Like Nathaniel had already made assumptions and judgments about Jesus, what assumptions and judgments have we made about Jesus as well? Remember, Nathaniel hadn't met Jesus yet, but he already had some assumptions. What are some of the assumptions? What are some of the stereotypes? What are some of the judgments you have already placed on Jesus, even maybe if you don't know him very well? Nathaniel was very skeptical, wasn't he? Nazareth? Nazareth? What good could possibly come out of Nazareth? He was kind of already putting Jesus at a distance. At, at a distance. Nothing could good come, nothing good could come out of Nazareth. There's no way that he's the Son of God. He might have said that. You might believe that, Philip, but that can't be right. Many of you have some skepticisms. You're skeptical about Jesus. Well, Jesus has claimed to be the Son of God, and Jesus has claimed to raise from the dead, and all these claims that Jesus has made, and you have a hard time wrapping your head around. You're like, I don't know. I'm a, I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense to me. I'm a little skeptical. On that, are you making assumptions and judgments around Jesus by just being skeptical? What about when you're hurt? I see this probably more, more than anything else where someone is hurt by someone that claims to follow Jesus. And when that person is hurt, it's, well, I can't follow Jesus because this Christian did this to me. I can't follow Jesus because that church did this to me. Man, let me just remind all of us we are all human, and the church is made up of a bunch of people that don't live perfectly, that do make mistakes. But we do that pretty easily, don't we? Where when we're hurt by someone else, we say, well, then Jesus must be like, and I can't follow Jesus because of this. Man, if you've been hurt by another Christian, if you've been hurt by another church, if you've been hurt by me or our church, if you've been hurt, man, don't put that on Jesus. Don't put that on Jesus. What assumptions, what judgments are we making about Jesus before we get to know him? I love that even in his skepticism and maybe even a little bit of his hesitancy, his judgments and his assumptions, those of Nathaniel, Philip's response is perfect. What did he say? Do you remember? Philip said to Nathaniel, what? Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Philip didn't feel the need to to defend Jesus. No, no, he really is the son of God. I know people of Nazareth, trust me, but I'm telling you, he's different. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't defend it. All Philip says is, come and see him for yourself. You don't believe me, you need to meet him. You don't get it, you need to meet him. So what do you do if you're a little skeptical? What do you do if you've been hurt? What do you do if I'm not so sure about this Jesus? You do exactly what Philip told Nathaniel to do. You go and see Jesus. You get to know him. You meet him for yourself. Put your assumptions, your skepticisms, your judgments, and your hurts on hold for a moment and go and see Jesus for yourself. So that's what Nathaniel does. He follows Philip to go see Jesus. And here's what happens next, verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Jesus says this to Nathaniel, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. That's a compliment. Jesus is saying, here's a great man, a righteous man, does what he's supposed to do. There's no deceit in him, which is kind of interesting that Nathanael basically was making fun of Jesus being from Nazareth, and the first thing Jesus said to Nathanael is, you're a good guy. Kind of funny. Anyway, verse 48, Nathanael has a question for Jesus. Well, how do you know me? Here Jesus said, here's a great man, a man with no deceit, and 
Nathaniel's like, we haven't met before. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And I love Jesus' answer. Look at this. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, not questioned, not thought, he declared, Rabbi, which means teacher, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. That question Nathanael asked Jesus, how do you know me? You said this thing about me, but Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus' answer is basically, Nathanael, I know everything about you. I know more than you could possibly know about yourself. I know you fully. Remember what he said? He said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, Nathaniel hearing that, if Jesus saw that, if Jesus knows that, he also knows what I said about him a few minutes ago probably too, right? Oh, Jesus, you saw me under the tree? Did you hear what I said about you being from Nazareth? Did you hear my hesitancy? Did you hear my skepticism? Did you hear my judgments? Did you hear my assumptions too? You heard all that, Jesus? Jesus knows everything about him as well as us. He knows us fully. But here's the great thing. Jesus didn't hold it against him, did he? See, Jesus fully knows you, and he still fully loves you. Jesus fully knew Nathanael, and he still invited Nathanael, come and follow me, come and be with me, be one of my disciples. One of the scariest and maybe most intimidating lines that Jesus said here is when Jesus said, I saw you while you were. How do you want to fill in that blank? Because he could say that to every single one of us. Jesus could say, Brian, I saw you while you were. Fill in the blank. He could look at each and every one of you and I saw you while you were. Jesus has seen it all in us. He knows it all about us. And he still loves us fully. Psalm 139 speaks to this and how much our creator knows us. Let me read just the first few verses here. Verse one out of 139. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I'm at rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. He knows you fully. And he still loves you fully. Now, I, I hope the fact that your creator knows you that deeply and that intimately I hope that sticks with you. So I've got a challenge for you. I think this will help this week of letting that solidify. So what I just read, those first few verses, is out of Psalm 139. If you keep reading the rest of Psalm 139, you're gonna see a lot more of that, of here's how much he knows you, here's how much he loves you, here's what it looks like for us to know him and begin to love him back. So here's my challenge for you. Monday through Saturday, I'll give you today off since you're already here at church or watching. So Monday through Saturday, read Psalm 139, the entire chapter, there's 24 verses, every single day. So chapter 139 out of Psalm, every day. Read the whole chapter once a day. You're like, well, if I read it Monday, why do I have to read it Tuesday? Because I think you're gonna see something new in it every single day. So read Psalm 139 on Monday, then read it again on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and allow the fact that he knows you fully and still loves you fully, let that really solidify in your heart this 
week. So there's a challenge for you. Read through that and you'll see how much he knows you, how much he loves you. And understand the change. Did you notice the change of Nathaniel? After Jesus and he had this, this quick discussion, this quick dialogue, he recognizes, Nathaniel recognizes how much Jesus actually knows him. And now Nathaniel's getting a glimpse of who Jesus really is, not who he thought he was, but who he really is. And then Nathaniel declared, verse 49, you are the son of God. You are the son of It was no longer, uh, I'm not sure. It was no longer, well, I think maybe, or it's I've heard of. He gets to a place where he says, no, Jesus, I know who you are. You are the son of God. Jesus' response back is great. After, G after Nathaniel declared who Jesus is, Jesus said this in verse 50. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. In other words, you believe because I did a miracle for you, because I proved myself to you. But look at what Jesus says next. You will see greater things than that. Jesus says, Nathaniel, you, you, you're getting to know me a little bit more, and you've seen what I can do, and you begin to know who I am. But Nathaniel, there are greater things to come. In other words, that this is the way we would say it here in, in George's, you ain't seen nothing yet. Nathaniel, yeah, you believe in me, and you've seen me do something pretty amazing, and you're getting to know me just a little bit right now, but Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. We're just getting started. You ain't seen nothing yet. And this is chapter one. This is John chapter one. We've got plenty to go through and see what Jesus is about to do. It's almost as if Jesus is looking at Nathaniel and kind of grinning and saying, yeah, 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 I am the son of God. I am the savior of the world. I am the king of kings and Lord of lords. But Nathaniel, sit back, get ready, because you ain't seen nothing yet. In fact, Nathaniel, come with me, because you haven't seen me turn water into wine yet. You're going to be impressed. You thought the sitting under a fig tree thing was great? Wait till you see this one. You haven't seen me take just a few loaves and a few fish and feed thousands. You ain't seen nothing yet, Nathaniel. You thought that was good? You haven't seen me raise a man named Lazarus from the dead yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. You haven't seen me give sight to the blind and, and give healing to people that can't walk. Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything yet. Nathaniel, you haven't seen me wash your feet yet on the night that I would be betrayed. You ain't seen nothing yet. Nathaniel, you haven't seen me be arrested beaten and crucified for your sins, you haven't seen anything yet. Oh, but Nathaniel, you haven't seen the empty tomb yet either. You ain't seen nothing yet. See, there's three parts to Nathaniel's story of knowing Jesus. It started out with a lot of skepticism and a lot of doubt and like, ah, he's from Nazareth. This can't, this can't be right. There's no way. So what did he do? He went and saw Jesus for himself. Second thing was he made a declaration. He says, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, you are the son of God. And then he continued to follow Jesus. We talked about that last week. Well, once you say yes to Jesus, the rest of your life is learning to continue to say yes to Jesus. We follow him every step of our day. That's what Nathaniel did. Here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping this story resonates with you in one of those three parts. So I want to go through it, and I want you to identify maybe where you're at. 
Are you a little skeptical of this Jesus person? Are you a little skeptical of church? Maybe you got some church hurt in your life or you've been hurt by a Christian. Somebody that proclaimed to love Jesus but hasn't done a good job of loving others. By the way, we all don't do a good job of that. Thank God for grace. So maybe you've been hurt, maybe you're skeptical, maybe you've got some questions that you just have a hard time wrapping your head around. I wanna tell you the same thing that Philip told Nathaniel. Come and see. Not come and see me, not come and see church, not come and see anything other than Jesus. Go and see him for yourself. Get to know him, read, finish reading. This is John chapter one, keep reading. Go home tonight and keep reading. And get to know Jesus for yourself. Put your assumptions and your judgments down and get to know Jesus for yourself. Maybe that's you. Then you just need to come and see him. Maybe you need to make that declaration that Nathaniel made. After you get to know Jesus, I'm, oh, kind of the eyes open moment. You really are the son of God. See, we can't follow Jesus until we make that declaration. That moment is the moment that we in church world called salvation, where we declare who Jesus is and who he is in our life. Romans 10 tells us this very plainly. Romans 10, verse nine. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, here it is, you will be saved. That's it. It's not live a good life, it's not do all these things first, it's not get your life in order, it's you believe with all your heart, and you declare that Jesus is Lord, and you're Lord. That's what Nathaniel did. He says, Jesus, you are him, you're it. So maybe you need to make that declaration in your heart and with your mouth. You, you pray, you say, Jesus, I'm not perfect. You say, Jesus, there's a lot I know and a lot I don't know, but I know that I'm a sinner. You say, I know I need a savior. You say, I know I can't do this without you, and I know that you are the Son of God, and I know that you died for my sins and took them as far as the east is from the west, Scripture says, and I know that that tomb is empty and that you raised from the dead, and I know that you sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and lead and guide us through our lives. And I know that I'm saved because of what you've already done for me. Maybe you need to make that declaration first and foremost. Maybe you've sought Jesus, you're getting to know him, you've made the declaration of who he is in your life, saved. Maybe you just need to keep following because you ain't seen nothing yet. He's not done with you yet. Jesus fully knows you, Jesus fully loves you, and he's not done with you yet. If you'll close your eyes with me at home here in the room, I wanna give you a moment between you and your king, you and your Lord, you and your savior, to figure out kind of which part of Nathaniel's story you resonate with. If you're like Nathaniel at the beginning where you're a little skeptical, would you make a decision to get to know Jesus over this next month? Between you and the Lord, not between me and you, this is between you and him. Would you commit to getting to know him? Reading more than just what you hear on a Sunday, Dig into the gospel, start reading through John, Matthew, Luke, Mark. Read about him and get to know him. If you've gotten to know Jesus enough, you're like, no, he is exactly who he says he is and I believe it with all of my heart. You might need to make that declaration for the first time. You say, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my King, Jesus is my Savior, he is the Son of God and he is alive. You do that right now, you do it in your heart. 
I believe with all my heart, and you confess with your mouth, it doesn't have to be loud, it needs to be loud enough for you to hear it out loud. That Jesus, I need you in my life, and I believe in you with all my heart. Maybe you need to just keep saying yes, because you ain't seen nothing yet. How he's gonna lead you, where he's gonna take you, what he will do in your life. Like he told Nathaniel, once you say yes to him, and you follow him, you ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus, thank you so much for how you get to know us. And I pray that we can continue to get to know you. Help us commit to, to just knowing you more. We will not know you fully, but yes, we can know you more. For those that are ready to make that declaration for the first time of not just knowing you, but believing in you. Jesus, we believe that we are sinners. We know that our sin keeps us from you. But we need a savior and that's why God sent you, his one and only son, to take our sins away, to give us the gift of eternal life, to save us from our sins, something that we could not do on our own. Jesus, if anybody needs to pray that prayer, I pray they pray it in their heart and then they affirm it with an amen and they're with their voice. God, I pray that we would continue to follow you the rest of our lives, that we would see you do amazing things in our lives because we said yes to you. Help us to know you more and more each day. In your name, amen.